0: This morning I'd like to start off by reading parts of a sermon with some very vivid imagery. I want you to imagine someone preaching this to you, and I'd like you to consider your response to this preaching. There's just three three paragraphs or passages that I'm going to read from. Your wickedness makes you, as it were, heavy as lead and to tend downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf and your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence and best contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. Another passage, There are the black clouds of God's wrath now hanging directly over your heads, full of the dreadful storm and big with thunder. And were it not for the restraining hand of God, it would immediately burst forth upon you. And the last passage, Therefore let everyone that is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come. The wrath of Almighty God is now undoubtedly hanging over a great part of this congregation. Let everyone fly out of Sodom. Haste and escape for your lives. Look not behind you. Escape to the mountains, lest you be consumed. It's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? We don't hear that much today. These are small portions from a message that Jonathan Edwards preached in his church in 1741. You can actually buy it today and read it under the title Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It is said that Edwards spoke in a monotonous voice and when he looked up he stared at the the back of the church. Yet the people apparently were captivated with his words. The result was a great revival in the New England area in the the 18th century. But we don't hear preaching like that anymore. Is it maybe too confronting for the 21st century? We're, We're sophisticated people today. We don't need to hear words like that from the 18th century preacher. We don't need that type of language. We're 21st century people. We don't need to be confronted like that. Let me read another letter, or a letter written to Christianity Today. I don't think anything has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to the evangelism enterprise than the often crude, uncouth and unchristian strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. The author of that was Robert Shuler. You might have heard that name, or was the pastor of one of the biggest churches in the world, the Crystal Cathedral, which I have to tell you now is now in the hands of the Catholic Church. They went broke and has now been handed over to the Catholic Church. God's wrath. He didn't believe in sin or hell. He He said he would never use the term sin from his pulpit. See, generally speaking, and I'm generally speaking here, preachers don't like to confront the congregation. They might get upset. They might walk out the door. And so generally speaking, preachers today have become very careful how they speak of the wrath of God. It's become unpopular. And many people, including Christians, find the thought of an angry God to be distasteful. So at times God's wrath is just ignored or more important or more to the point God's love is honed in on instead and everything is God's love, God's mercy and certainly that is his attributes but they are brought to the fore and God's wrath is stuck behind. You see the, the wrath of God is not some little dirty secret we need to keep hidden. It's not offensive, it's not wrong wrath is an attribute of God. As you might recall and remember, I'm going through the attributes of God. Most of them are easy. It's great to talk about God's mercy and love, I love's next time actually, but his, his omnipotence, His omnipresence. I've been not dreading this one, but I've been really churning over this one. God, God's wrath. But when we... Think about it. The fact is, if you want to preach the gospel, if you want to have communion, if you want to preach the gospel of salvation and grace, you have to start with the wrath of God. That's where you've got to start. I'll make this a little clearer as we go along and why that is the case. Proverbs 9.10 proclaims fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. So one of the reasons we're doing the attributes of God is so that we will have knowledge of the Holy One which will give us good judgment as we go through our daily lives. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. This verse is saying we cannot possibly have wisdom We cannot possibly make good judgments until we learn lesson one. And lesson one is the fear of the Lord. What are we to fear? Or in part, today, God's wrath. So let's get to the scriptures and see what God says about his wrath. But first I want to define the term wrath. Wrath is defined as an emotional response to perceived wrong and injustice. The Bible translate, translates wrath as anger, indignation, vexation. I love vexation. Irritation, as one version of the scripture says. And so when we talk about wrath, as soon as I mention wrath, in a human sense, most of us think about the state of being out of control. See, when men and women are angry, we, we lose our temper. We can become out of control. We, we spew angry words and may even resort to violence when we become angry or when we are wrathful or vexed. And so what we do is we say, surely it's wrong to attribute this characteristic to God. But we have to understand, yes, both humans and God express wrath, but there's a, da- a vast difference between the wrath of God and the wrath of man. You see, God's wrath is holy and always justified. And that's one of the reasons I've left this attribute to the end, or nearly to the end. Because I wanted us to understand God and his holiness last time. And to understand God cannot do anything that is unholy. So yes, he, he is wrathful, but he is holy in that wrath. And he is justified in that wrath. Always justified. But men, women, we're never holy when we're angry and we're certainly never or rarely justified. Some people today think the God of wrath is only for the Old Testament. And they can see it in the Old Testament. So let's start there. Then we'll look at the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the the wrath of God is a divine response to human sin and and disobedience. In the New Testament, Jesus' teaching supports the concept of God as a God of wrath who judges sin. And you only have to read the book of Revelation to, to understand that fully. So if the wrath of God is an attribute of his, why are we afraid to talk about it? I also want to tell you that the wrath, or the word wrath of God, or wrath pertaining to God, is mentioned more than his love. So if we want to know God, we need to acknowledge this part of his character. We need to understand this part of his attribute. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. So what's at the heart of God's wrath? How can a loving God be an angry God? What is his wrath? Well, before we get to the Old Testament, turn with me to Romans. Our pastors preach through the book of Romans. I'm just going to pick up a few verses here and there to have a look at what is this wrath that we are talking about. Let's start with Romans 1.18. Right at the beginning of his book, Paul wrote this. He said, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. I want you to notice that. that God doesn't say that his wrath, or Paul doesn't say that God's wrath has been revealed as if it's a past event. The verse speaks of wrath as an ongoing event. The wrath of God is being revealed and will continue to be revealed from heaven. So how is God's wrath being revealed? Well, let's, let's first go back now to the old... Leave your hand in Romans, your finger in Romans. We're going to turn to Nahum. Now, as a minor prophet, and if you're anything like me, I suck at finding minor prophets in the Bible. You go Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. So if you get to any one of those four and then Nahum's right in the middle of it. This is one of the most vivid descriptions of God's wrath. I'll wait till I stop here, the page is turning. (laughs) Nahum, chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle of Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum... The Elkishite, a jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The blossoms of Lebanon wither. Mountains quake because of him and the hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence. The world and all the inhabitants in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken up by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of its sight, and will pursue his enemies into darkness. This book of Nahum is about the destruction of Nineveh. We read of mountains trembling, the cities being flooded with an all-consuming fire. It's terrible to think of these things happening. Did God actually do this to Nineveh? Well, there's no city called Nineveh today. When an earthquake strikes, when a tsunami strikes, is that God's wrath, as in Nineveh? Well, I don't know. Because I don't know the mind of God. But what I will tell you is there's biblical precedence. And that's another sermon all on its own. God is sovereign. The Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way. I would never stand up here and preach that a tsunami is God's judgment upon that nation. Because I don't know the mind of God as I said in that particular circumstance. But be aware, there is biblical precedence to the destruction. Sodom and Gomorrah being another one. What we read in Nahum is how God was feeling. And we ask the question, did he react and abuse his power in anger and wrath simply to lack out of these people? Like we probably would. Now we have to understand that God's wrath in the Bible is never self-indulgent. It's not irritable. It's not set off like he's got a short fuse. His wrath is a right and necessary reaction to moral evil, which is what Nineveh was. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. God is holy. We learned that last time. We went through it and spent 40 minutes talking about the holiness of God. And God cannot stand sin. He cannot stand sin in His presence because He is holy. In fact, if God didn't hate sin, if God wasn't wrathful towards sin, if God wasn't um, talking like this about the fact that uh, He is showing his anger amongst his adversaries, he wouldn't be holy. He couldn't be holy. Listen to Arthur Pink, one of my favourite authors, as I just read a passage. And I read him because I can never put it as good as he could. How could he, who is the sum of all excellency, look with equal satisfaction upon virtue and vice, wisdom, and folly? How could he who is infinitely holy disregard sin and refuse to manifest his severity toward it? How could he who delights only in that which is pure and lovely not loathe and hate that which is impure and vile? The very nature of God makes hell as real as a necessity as heaven is. And this is what God is expressing through Nahum. You see, if we say that God is a God of wrath, what we're actually confessing is that God is a God of love. God would not be loving if he did not react to evil with his wrath. Verse 8 Verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. So if you're a born-again believer here this morning, He knows you. And we take refuge in Him. But with an overflowing flood, He will make a complete end. And He will pursue His enemies into darkness. God could not be loving if He did not react to evil in such a way. Just in our small way, If any of us witnessed an act of cruelty or injustice in our community and we didn't become angry of it as a result, wouldn't we be showing a lack of love and concern also? So God's wrath is not inconsistent with His love. It's an expression of His love. He gets angry and wrathful when people deliberately disobey Him, as the Ninevites did. Just as any loving parent would here this morning. The Old Testament. But in the New Testament we've already read that Paul said his wrath is being revealed. How then is his wrath being revealed in our present day? To me the same way. But we have more insight in the New Testament because Paul indicates in Romans that his wrath is being revealed in the ongoing proclamation of the gospel. You see, when Jesus Christ is presented as the way of salvation, and people reject him, God's wrath is revealed in judgment. That's what Paul says in Romans 2.5. He says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. And we know from Scripture that God's righteous judgment for an unrepentant heart is eternal separation from God in what Revelation 21.14 calls the lake of fire, the second death. And so we've been studying today the cross of Christ. We've, We've had communion around it. We've been singing around it. And so I want to <clears throat> bring out the fact that in the cross of Christ, we see the wrath of God fully expressed on his own Son. And if people reject Jesus Christ, they're rejecting God's forgiveness and they're storing up wrath against themselves for the day of God's wrath. And so that's why it was such a wonderful idea to have, or well, coincidence, uh, plan. Whatever you want to call it that we had communion today because I believe God's wrath explains the cross. And what I mean here is if we understand that the wrath of God or the wrath of God we can better understand the cross of Christ. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ became necessary because God's wrath against sin and we are sinners. But God desired to reveal his love By extending grace and mercy in the person of his son. However, God's justice required a punishment. Still requires a punishment today. Even from Nineveh right up until now, God's justice requires that sinners be punished. And so Jesus became our perfect substitute. The one who would take the punishment for our sin. The one that was due for us. Christ, in some horrible and mysterious way, endured the wrath of God on our behalf. The wrath that we read about in Nineveh. The wrath that we read a few passages of in the beginning. That wrath, Christ took on our behalf. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine the Son of God having to yell that out? He was enduring the horrible rush of God's wrath that you and I deserve. The Bible tells us that whoever puts their trust in Jesus the Messiah, whoever understands what he did for us on the cross, two things will happen. Our sin will be credited to the account of Christ. His death will be for our sin. That's one thing that happens. And the Lord's goodness will be placed in our account. God's or Jesus' righteousness is placed in us. God views us as holy. There is no greater act of mercy, no greater act of grace and love than what God has done for us because of his wrath through Jesus Christ. The gift extended to us at the cross is staggering, undeserved, as Jordan pointed out, can't pay it back. Can't pay for it. Can't, it's not possible. And if we truly understand what we deserve, what do we deserve? God's wrath. And if we truly understand that, remember it said, who can stand before his indignation? Who can do that? <coughs> and if we really understand what we deserve, and now compare it to what we've been given... We shouldn't be able to do anything else except spend the rest of our lives giving thanks to God. But in saying that and mentioning the knowledge that we have to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour, I can now say that God's wrath is something that you choose. When we think of ourselves as sinners in the hands of an angry God, we might cry out, Why, Lord? What? Why? as if we didn't deserve the hand or the heavy hand of God. But the reality about God's wrath is that it's something that we choose. We can either experience the favour of God by accepting Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Saviour, or we can choose to reject God's goodness, reject God's plan through His Son, and experience His wrath. It's a choice, a choice that every one of you have here this morning. Three times in Romans chapter 1, Paul writes that God gave them over. Verse 24, if you've still got your hand in Romans 1. Verse 24 says, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Verse 28, furthermore just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. What Paul is saying is that God is allowing these people to go their own way. He gave them over to it. <coughs> For those of you who are doing the book of Genesis we had some great discussion on the fact that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Simply God gave him over to his own heart to follow what Pharaoh always had in his heart. What Paul is saying that he has allowed these people to go their own way. Don't misunderstand and say that God gave up on these people. Rather, being a God who desires heartfelt worship and human choice in that regard, he allowed them a choice. So God gave them over to their sinful desires, to their shameful lusts, to their depraved mind, because that's what they wanted. They wanted to be separated from God. Is that what you want this morning? To be separated from God? Therefore, these people in Romans chapter 1 experienced the wrath of God. I want you to understand... Being separated from God is not about flames and brimstone, although that will come. But it's more about being cut off from God, who is life. John the Baptist outlined this for us in John 3.36. He simply said, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And most of us here this morning can say, Praise God, that's me. But he who rejects the Son will not see life For God's wrath remains on him. The essence of God's action in wrath is to give people what they choose. Nothing more, nothing less. Again, let's remember that God doesn't give up on sinners. He may give them over, but he doesn't give up. His desire is that we would follow Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God's desire is that we would choose to follow Christ, to discover the life that has always been meant for us. But it's only through belief in Jesus Christ that we can escape the wrath of God. Again, Romans 5, nine, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? You didn't realise there was so many God's wrath in Romans, did you? Why focus on the wrath of God? Why even bring it up? What good does it do us to hear about the wrath of God? Why not just focus in on God's love? Well, I'm going to finish with a few reasons. I'm sure there are many more than this. But to know that God is a God of wrath... Reminds, that, reminds us that God is a holy God who hates sin. We need to be reminded about that. He is a holy God who hates sin. God would cease to be God if he were less than perfect and good. So sin is imperfection. It's, it's evil. So sin has no place in the life that God has designed. To know that God is a God of wrath reminds us that God is holy. Therefore, to know that God is a God of wrath should make us uncomfortable with sin. It's our sin that put Jesus Christ on the cross. He he bore the full brunt of God's wrath for us, for those of us who have accepted Christ as Lord and Saviour. Jesus Christ bore the full wrath or the full brunt of God's wrath. And so I asked the question how can we possibly tolerate sin in our own lives when it literally killed our Lord? How can we do that? How can we contemplate that? The Lord takes sin seriously. The cross has already proven that. Shouldn't we take it very seriously? And don't be fooled into thinking that because God's wrath is not immediate, God's wrath is not there because I've sinned and nothing happened. Believe me, God is watching. He's watching the decline of our society. He's watching the decline of our own lives. And believers who continue in sin will be disciplined, according to Hebrews. Unbelievers will be sent to eternal damnation. No one can escape without consequences if we continue to sin continually. Flee immorality. Run from sin. Don't tolerate it in your personal life and where necessary. Don't tolerate it in our community. God hates sin. We should hate sin. To know that God is a God of wrath and you just have to read Nahum, Nahum or go and get out or on the internet in the hands of an angry God. To know that should make us uncomfortable with sin. Also to know that God is a God of wrath should be an incentive to live a holy life. I talked about this last time but just to remind us this means that we'll live a life that honours God. That we'll live a life that reflects His purposes and His design for our life. Also, to know that God is a God of wrath should fill us with a passion for the lost. Why? Because those who are lost are in danger of experiencing God's wrath, they're in danger of experiencing that day of judgment. And we who are Christians know that that day is coming. You only have to read the the end of the book of Revelation, the great white throne judgment. That day is coming. And so we should share the love of God with others more fervently with that knowledge that God's wrath is going to fall upon them. And to that end, those here this morning who have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, to know and hear now that God is a God of wrath and He won't wink at your sin, should show you the urgent need to get right with God while there's still time. John the Baptist told the Pharisees and Sadducees, he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Well, I'm not going to call you a brood of vipers, but I'm warning you to flee from the wrath that is to come. There's absolutely no matter that's more urgent than getting right with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing has a greater consequence than your decision regarding Christ. Your financial decisions may affect your comfort level today, but it won't affect your eternity. Your relationships will affect your present happiness or or otherwise, but they won't affect your eternal destiny. Your job allows you to bring home a pay packet, but it doesn't affect where you will spend eternity. Your decision regarding Jesus Christ is the only thing that will affect where you spend eternity. There's a second reason. It's more urgent. And that is, you don't know how much time you have left. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and and Saviour, at any moment your life could finish. It is given to men to die once and then the judgment. A heart attack, a car accident, an aneurysm, a stroke. All God has to do is say the word and your life is over. It doesn't matter how good you feel right now, you're living on borrowed time. Don't put off turning to the Lord for forgiveness and new life, you can't be sure you'll have any other chance after you leave this service today. Drop everything. If you haven't asked God for forgiveness and declared your faith in what Christ has done that was shared for us today, if you haven't done it with a sincere heart, you need to receive this gift now. Otherwise you will be a, a sinner in the hands of an angry God. You see the reason I spoke about God's wrath is it's necessary to do so. We all need to feel his wrath as it were so we can continue to realize just how amazing and great his salvation is through Jesus Christ our Lord. I didn't start bring this subject to your attention to make You feel terrible, I did it to encourage you to realise what you've been saved from that God is right maybe we need more of Jonathan Edwards let's pray together Father we come before you as a congregation who have heard about your mercy and grace we sing about it all the time Your power, your sovereignty, your eminence, your closeness to us, your, your far above us. Lord, we've heard all these wonderful attributes and now we come to this wonderful attribute of wrath. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's very clear that you are a God of wrath towards those who are disobedient, to those who are your adversaries. We thank you, Lord, that we have read that, uh, that you look after those who have accepted Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour. Your wrath is not upon us, and we give great thanks to that. Thank you for showing us, Lord, how, how wonderful and great your Son's sacrifice was as he accepted and took upon him your wrath, as described even in Nahum, upon himself, in place of us. And we thank you. We ask, Father, now that as we just sit quietly, that, Father, you would use your spirit to bring about change in our life. Maybe we've been toying with sin. Maybe we've forgotten just what put Christ on the cross. Maybe we wink at it in our own lives and the lives of others. Maybe, Lord, this morning there are people in this congregation who have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour and the wrath of, of you is upon them. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit you would draw them to yourself. Father, the time is getting closer and we ask, Father, that you would work miraculously in their heart to drop the scales from their eyes so that they may see the truth of the Gospel and to see what they're being saved from. And I ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I thought we could just spend one minute just in silence before we get up and in the old place we used to pack the chairs up and that used to take precedence and just before we have any coffee or time just meet with the Lord just quietly on what you've heard and if there are any of you who have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour and the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart and saying do so then you can do it right where you are. What do you choose? Because God's wrath is a choice. Let's just, let's say a minute's silence. Then I'll finish with the benediction. Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen.